episode 109, Probing the Financial Underbelly of the Insurance Industry in Search of Lower Employer Healthcare Costs. Today, I speak with Vincent Esposito from Endeavor Plus. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Wow, it's complicated, this how insurers insure business. But sometimes complication is used as a very effective barrier hindering efforts to disrupt vested interests who are collecting the money, spilling out the end of that complication. Today, I speak with Vincent Esposito, the COO over at Endeavor Plus. Endeavor, Endeavors, to help employers with 10 to 500 employees find a better way to offer health insurance to employees. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Vinny. Oh, thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk today about employers with 10 to 500 employees, a group which I hold near and dear to my heart for obvious reasons. But talk to me about the problems that employers this size have with insurance and getting coverage for their employees. Just a little bit of background about this market. So this specific market today, 85% of the market is buying fully insured plans. They're buying a traditional plan from Aetna, Cigna, United Health, whomever it might be. And they're using their broker as that conduit to facilitate those plans. And generally speaking, they're facing massive premium increases every single year. You know, each state varies, but in 2015, you know, New York Times reported massive increase of 20 to 40% across the country. And so these employers are facing this massive headwind and they can't really compete. And so they're making hiring decisions based off of the benefits, which is unfortunate because they're trying to grow their business. They're obviously the, the lifeline for America here. And this second or third largest P&L item has no ability to be controlled. And so employers are doing everything they can at this moment to figure out alternatives on how they can control those healthcare expenses. Have the premiums for employers accelerated over recent years or are they decelerating or is there some sort of trend line there? They're certainly accelerating since the Affordable Care Act has been put into place. In fact, some states like Georgia are facing 65% increases on average. So you're seeing the increases get worse. And so there's a few reasons why that's happening. Part of the Affordable Care Act, what they put in place was medical loss ratios, which basically means that the profitability of the legacy carriers is capped. And so basically the math of that is if I can only make 20% on the dollar of profit, it's easier for me to make more money if I'm charging $100 or $110. And so that's one of the headwinds that's facing the market today. And then separately, as we move forward, it should get worse because all the legacy carriers are now trying to merge, which gives them even more pricing power. So the smaller or medium-sized employer groups are facing pretty catastrophic headwind that they're trying to manage uh, effectively. And the brokers are not generally equipped with the right tools to help them navigate through this market because they've been selling a similar product for the last 30 years. It, it intrigued me what you just said about the medical loss ratio, the MLR. Mm -hmm. It seems like insurers are not really, based on what you said, let's just say reflecting the spirit of the 
<laughs> of the the guidance. In other words, it was the intent that to keep prices down Correct. by limiting profits, but instead of taking that on board, what insurers are doing are like, you know what, I want to make 25% or 30% or whatever. And if I have to do that by simply charging more so that my revenue is higher, so that I can make the same dollar amount, but claim that it's a lower percentage, it's like squeezing a balloon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Am Am I reading that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so interestingly enough, this market is, you know, when you look at it as a scope of business, it's one of the only markets where you have an irreplaceable middleman. The legacy carriers have positioned themselves as such where the customer, the employer, or the employer, the members are completely dependent on the insurer. And then the providers are completely dependent on the insurers to get paid. And so when you look at business as a whole, it's very unique that you have this dynamic. And it's interesting because the providers are incredibly vulnerable. They put themselves within a a PPO network and then ultimately hope to get reimbursed at that promised level. But the weight that they endure is quite painful. And then on the other side, the employers face massive premium increases. And so everyone's sort of losing, (laughs) except for the insurance carriers. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say from my personal experience prior to the ACA, I mean, that was no party. I remember one year that our rates went up like 20% or something. So personally, and we're in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, personally, let's just put it this way. It's not like there's small increases year over year, but I tend to just believe anecdotally that they're not quite as high as they may have been in the past, still unacceptably high, but considering that if all of a sudden your biggest expense goes up unpredictably and you're looking yep. at numbers in north of 20% or something like that, I, that's just absolutely untenable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of factors that are happening as to why that's happening. In addition to you know the headwinds I mentioned earlier, you, know, you are facing RX drug rising, but the model itself is so interesting because the standard fully insured model of healthcare, it really takes away an employer's ability to save while selling the idea that a fixed monthly premium with no refund opportunities is really the safest way for healthcare coverage when traditionally it's not, which is why larger employers, they all self-fund where they basically try to take control over their healthcare expenses. And, and generally speaking, they only pay for the healthcare they use. If being self-funded is the better way to go, why and, and what are the advantages? Sure. So in a self-funded plan, so there's self-funded and there's partially self-funded. When you're partially self-funded, that's when you utilize reinsurance. And that's basically your backstop in the case of a catastrophic situation. And so when you're self-funded or partially self-funded, you have complete transparency to begin. So you know exactly where all your premium dollars are going. Secondly, you avoid a lot of mandated taxes. So there's a savings implied in in transitioning over from fully insured plan and into a self-funded or partially self-funded plan. And then lastly, whatever you pay as far as premium into your third-party administrator, the TPA, whatever you end up not utilizing, you ultimately end up getting to keep. And so there's different plans that are on the market. There's a lot of level-funded plans that allow you to participate to certain levels. But ultimately, when you are self-funded, you are the the insurance company and you get to participate in those savings. I had never actually heard that there was three categories. I wasn't thinking about 
employer options for insurance on some kind of continuum with partially self-funded in the middle. I thought it was this. All um, or none. Yeah, you're either in or out. Yep, yep. And so the market that I mentioned earlier, that 500 and below, 15% of the market today is partially self-funded. And so not everyone is buying that traditional plan from Aetna. So they are seeing that they need to migrate into alternatives. That number is growing. There is certainly that transition occurring, but it's not easy today. And so it really is a market that has a tremendous problem on its hands. And there are more and more solutions that are popping up in this subsegment. I would think that there could be a lot of fear. I would think that one of the reasons why these smaller employers are not moving into the self-funded, I can think of a couple things. So so tell me if my instincts are mm-hmm. are on or, you know, and round them out. I would fear, number one, that there would be a ton of administrative burden regarding being self-funded. And number two, I would fear the, that there is financial liability there. In other words, what if something horrible happens and expenses go into the millions of dollars, that there would be a lot of risk involved? On the administrative side, if you work with a good third-party administrator, that's not really a big concern for the employer. You're facing more of a headwind of people don't know who that third-party administrator is and everyone knows who Aetna is. You know what I'm saying? So it's more of a perception issue. As far as the financial liability, you know, for years, these smaller and medium-sized companies, they've never had the balance sheet to support a self-funded or partially self-funded plan. And so that's been one of the issues the market's faced itself. But you're seeing more and more reinsurance businesses looking to migrate and expand their market. And so they're looking to go into smaller and medium-sized employers. And so that provides the backstop. Now, you obviously are not, depending on your SPD, your summary plan design, you have to make sure that you're covered on a maximum liability. And so you'll be covered on both what's called a specific and an aggregate level. And whatever, if you breach either one of those, specifics and individual cost, aggregates for the entire group, if you breach either one of those, then your reinsurance will kick in. And so that's how that backstop works, which allows a smaller company or a medium-sized company to not require a balance sheet like a Google would, where Google would say, I don't need reinsurance. I can pay for it. All right. So I know I'm talking to a finance geek, so I'm kind of scared to ask <laughs> this question. <laughs> but can you, can you define reinsurance? Let me try to explain it in simple terms. It is insurance on the insurance. So let's think of it this way. If a situation like a catastrophic claim were to occur, okay, and one of the individuals of a group gets sick and they end up costing the total plan $30,000, okay, but the specific level is $25,000, that would mean that the reinsurance would kick in for $5,000. So the plan would pay up to the $25,000 and then the reinsurance would kick in for the remaining five. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like a high deductible plan. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for the plan, <laughs> for, for the, the employer. actual plan sponsor. Yep. <laughs> Got it. It's funny because obviously I work in health economics and we hear about TPAs, third-party administrators all the time. Yep. But in the context of, for example, United Healthcare, 
acting as an administrator, as a third-party administrator, instead of and not providing their insurance product, but only acting as an administrative services only for an employer. But it sounds like there's other people that do TPAing as well, which, as you said, are lesser known. Correct. Yeah, there are TPAs all over the country. They, generally speaking, there there are each state has many TPAs. So it's a very common business. They're all fighting for the same share in the 15% of the market. There are a handful of standouts that are incredibly successful. They have fantastic technology. Many of them are not fully integrated, and I can go into that. But ultimately, there are, there are TPAs that are doing this that are lesser known than the legacy carriers. Let's talk about Endeavor Plus, which is your company for a sec. Are you guys a TPA? Yeah, we are. And in fact, we actually kind of define ourselves as a digital TPA. We are basically a vertically integrated solution that allows a business to migrate away from a fully insured plan and into a partially self-funded plan. And when we bill our employers, we charge maximum liability so there's no gotchas at the end of the year. And whatever they end up not utilizing as far as money that they end up paying to us in premiums, whatever they end up not using for healthcare, we give them back 100% of their savings. You had mentioned something earlier. You, you had said there are some TPAs that are more or less integrated. Integrated into what? Each TPA has different elements to them, right? Some own their own technology, which is their claims adjudication platform. Some outsource it. Some just focus on the claims adjudication itself. And so when I say integrated, I mean more like us, Endeavor Plus, where we we actually fully integrate. We own our own plan design we own our own reinsurance. We partner with other reinsurance carriers like or reinsurance, excuse me, with like Fidelity and Nationwide and Transamerica. So we have partners in the market as well that are much more known than us. We own our own TPA, but we outsource a lot of the technology. So a lot of the heavy lifting and the fixed costs that are associated with a traditional TPA, we outsource, which allows us to be much more competitive as it comes to pricing. And so when I look at a traditional TPA, it's a very clunky business model. We've kind of revolutionized that. Does that include working with employees? What services would you be able to provide an employee, which are greater than, less than, or equal to a traditional carrier? So this goes to our plan, our plan design. We have a very unique plan design. We marry a qualified high deductible with a partially funded health savings account. And so what that means basically is our employers get the benefit of a lower premium and the employees get the benefit of a partially funded health savings account. And so that helps offset that high deductible. And so the reason why we do that is because our maximum liabilities for an individual is 3,500 and for a family, it's, it's 7,000. And when you compare that to what's on the market, we're almost half of what the traditional plans are. And then furthermore, when you go at a network in a traditional plan, you face massive coinsurance. With us, you have no coinsurance. So when you take all that together and then you couple that with our other benefits, which is dental, vision, all that's embedded. We have telemedicine embedded free to the member. We give you a credit if you use a trainer, nutritionist, a gym membership. We've really worked hard to say, okay, let's put this together where we really want to drive consumerism into this market. And with the help of transparency and with the help of technology today, we really believed we could do it. And so our plan itself is built around the member, even though the employer gets significant benefits because of that qualified high deductible plan. 
you're able to do all of this because you're cutting out middle people? Yeah. So when you think about how this has been built, you can kind of think of us as a centralized portal. And so we're sort of that nucleus where we've plugged into a number of best of breed technologies. And so we've aligned ourselves with who we believe are the best vendors in their respective vertical. And so everything to the consumer is Endeavor Plus facing. But on the back end, we're working with some of the best vendors in the country. And so it allows our members to have the best experience. And it allows us to have a very limited cost structure because everything's variable. Every one of the vendors is paid on what's called a PEPM basis, a per employee per month basis. And it allows us to have that flexibility when when we're charging the employer their monthly premium, it gives us tremendous leeway. But I still, and maybe it's just I didn't fully understand what you were talking about at the top of this interview. I'm still not quite understanding where the cost savings comes from. I mean, PMPM is a model that, like, you know, yep. for example, United Healthcare uses for to purchase a lot of services as well. So where does the ability to save significant dollars, I mean, enough dollars that you can offer additional services with the savings, where does that come from? Sure. So to start, the the mandated taxes is just a natural tailwind that you're transitioning over from a fully insured plan and into a partially self-funded plan. So you have that to begin with. Furthermore, you have on the back end the ability to save on whatever's not used. So you know we're basically building out plans where we're charging the maximum liability. And then at the end of the year, whatever's not used, they get to keep. So they have additional savings as well. So let me just understand that. So if an employee is paying their monthly premium, Mm -hmm. but they're super healthy and it turns out that they never go to the doctor, then the premium that they paid in is refunded back. Yeah. So out of the premium payments that are paid, they have what's called an expected claims bucket. And so that would represent, let's just say 60% of the total premium paid. At the end of the year, whatever is not used out of that expected claims bucket is completely 100% reimbursed to the employer. Got it. So if the employees stay healthy, then there's savings at the end of the year. And if they don't, and there's some catastrophic claims going on, then the reinsurance kicks in. So that's exactly, how exactly. And let's just talk about you. You had mentioned how the rising drug costs play into this. You know, I was just looking in the Wall Street Journal the other day, And there was a report in 2014, pharmaceutical drug prices or prescription drug spending rose 12.6% or something. And they predict 7% increases through year over year. So obviously, prescription drugs are going higher and higher. How does that, number one, contribute to the premiums that employees are being asked to pay or just in general, how much everybody's being asked to pay, number one? And number two, I'm an employer and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I got a couple of employees with rheumatoid arthritis and I got somebody else that just went through chemo and I got, I I mean, those are massive monthly drug costs. How does that all work together? Traditionally speaking, costs are higher in those situations, right? When that happens, the costs just move higher. And even when you're partially self-funded or self-funded, you'd be facing higher costs because frankly, you're requiring more healthcare attention. With us, we have a unique situation where we, we have a, a benefits division and we also have a financial services division. And I don't want to gear it too much towards that, but I just, I'll touch on this quickly. 
On our financial solution side of the business, what we've done is we've created a, an instrument that allows us to utilize the capital markets to help mortgage those claims. So when one of our reinsurance partners has is on the hook for a large catastrophic claim, we've taken our financial instrument and, and we've gone and we've taken the proceeds from the capital markets where we then pay the hospital and allow one of our reinsurance partners to pay us over an extended period of time. So that allows the shock to be muted because it's use, utilizing time value of money. Based on what you see of the healthcare industry from your perspective, I'm curious, Vinny, how much of healthcare and healthcare decisions that are made or healthcare that is accessible by consumers, how much is healthcare affected by financial markets? It's a difficult question. It's interesting because, you know, when you think about the, the market today, you have these companies that are basically supplying the country with healthcare who are public. And when you're a public company, your goal is to make profit for your shareholders. And the greater good for the society is certainly to keep the costs down. So in my eyes, there's a conflict of interest there. That being said, I believe that with our solution, we're bringing the financial markets to become the new payer in the market, in the healthcare market. Today, you know, when you're looking at who are the payers today and, and how is that impacting the cost of healthcare, you have the legacy carriers and then you have CMS, the American taxpayer. No one's utilizing the capital markets. And we believe that with our financial instrument, we can change the way healthcare is consumed and the cost of it. And so this obviously won't happen overnight, but the issue of healthcare is not a dollar issue, right? We are, it's 18% of our GDP. It's a multi-trillion dollar market. If it's not a dollar issue, it's just how those dollars are utilized. And so we believe that with the use of the capital markets and the ability to, to still pay the providers in a timely manner while still paying off the bills and managing the cost of that over time, it'll allow healthcare costs to go lower and lower over time. Another group that let's just say has some challenges with legacy payers are providers. Yeah. How does what you are disrupting over there impact providers? Reimbursement is a difficult thing for providers. They have contracts with the legacy carriers and they're part of a PPO network or whatever it might be. And they say, okay, I'll, I'll service your members and you will pay me X. And what ends up happening ultimately is the providers are asking them, hey, when are you going to pay me? And the legacy carriers delay and deny for as long as they can. And the provider ultimately struggles, which is why you're seeing so many hospitals go out of business or so many private doctors end up being bought by hospital systems. It's because they have no visibility into their cash flow. I believe the average, and I'm, I may not be accurate on this, but I believe the average hospital operates on 69 days cash and the average reimbursement is 64 days. So what we've done to solve this problem is because we're tapping the capital markets through our financial instrument, we work directly with the providers. We partner with them. We say, listen, we understand this reimbursement problem. We want to come in and we want to help you. And so what we'd like to do is we'd like to purchase the legacy carrier receivables off your balance sheet. Depending on what the contract is, we'll buy them at 90 to 95 cents on the dollar. 
you will get money from us within 48 hours. And then ultimately, we will then go and look to be reimbursed at that 100 cents on the contract. And so, yeah, we'll be making a little bit of a spread there. But ultimately, what we'll be doing is giving doctors and hospitals visibility into their cash flow, which is incredibly valuable, and it allows us to partner with them. How do the employees that are in your benefit design, in other words, I've never, in fact, I was just looking up some providers the other day and looking at the insurance plans that they're covered by on their websites. And I've never seen, you know, Endeavor Plus listed. How does that work? We're completely open access network. So we kind of tout a no network network. And we've done that by utilizing a number of different tools and creative vendors. And we've worked directly with our reinsurance partners to solve that issue. But what we do and how this marries into our financial instrument and our financial solution is we go to these providers and these hospitals and we say, you know, utilize our financial instrument and we will solve literally 95% of the, the issues you have on your balance sheet today. But for that, when our members come to you, we would like them to pay at a discount. So Traditionally speaking, let's just use this as an example. They'd be paying 140% of Medicare based off of a specific geography. And instead of 140% of Medicare for you to utilize our our financial services, we'd like them to pay 120%. And so our members in subsequent years, as we build out our financial solution, as we span the country, will get better and better rates while doctors are still getting reimbursed not only on us, but also on the legacy carriers in a timely manner. But what if you don't have a relationship with that provider institution? Can an employee not go there or are you being charged charge master rates or how does that work? Let's use an example of a member that we've not currently engaged the provider with our financial services element yet. What would happen is we actually have a proactive team that reaches out to providers on behalf of our members and introduces Endeavor Plus and says, Stacy is new to Endeavor Plus. Uh, she listed you as one of her providers. We reimburse based on your geography at X, with 140, 120% of Medicare, it depends, based on basically Healthcare Blue Book. Do you accept this reimbursement level? And so we would proactively reach out, do that service. If there's doctors that you go to that we have not proactively reached out to, during the verification of benefit phase, the same conversation would happen. And then lastly, when they drop the claim, that third conversation happens. And we have all the different protection layers within our plan design to not only protect the member, but also protect the plan, the plan sponsor, and then lastly, protect our reinsurance partners. This took two years to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm an employee and I have a large bevy of doctors I'm playing fast and loose with, I'm causing you guys a lot of work. No, not so much because, you know, we do have the outsource team that is, is literally reaching out to providers all over the country, but the process and all the clearing and everything that, that takes place is the exact same as if you were with United Healthcare. So, you know, we're not changing the way that anything's done. We're just kind of tilting it, call it five degrees. You're sort of doing it on demand as opposed to. Okay. Exactly. So where can people find more information about Endeavor Plus? Should they be interested? You can go to our website, EndeavorPlus.com. We also have an email at info at Endeavor Plus. And then lastly, uh, phone number for just some information is 1-844-EHP-WELL. So E-H-P-WELL. I thank you so much for being on the podcast, Finney. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time.
Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.